You're listening to 340B Unscripted. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to 340B Unscripted. My name is Greg Wilson. Uh, welcome to our third episode, which has some follow-up discussion from episode two around hot topics and lessons learned from the 340B Summer Coalition Conference. I've got with me today Rob Nahoopy and Jake Thompson from the Spend Men Pharmacy team. How are you guys doing today? Great. Doing well. Excited to be here and continuing the conversation on from the conference. So glad to have Jake on and uh, so he can share his insight as well. Yeah, we, we had a great discussion during episode two with uh, one of our other colleagues, Jennifer Hagen, and recapped a lot of the uh, the highlights from the the summer coalition. But there was one particular topic that we wanted to have another discussion around, discussion around and, and dive a little bit more deeply. And that, that's really around th- this whole contract pharmacy manufacturer restriction and the the considerations around uploading of contract pharmacy claims data to that third-party platform 340B ESP and what that means for covered entities. So, Jake, I think you had some some pretty interesting insights from the opening remarks that Maureen Testoni from 340B Health provided. What, what, what did you take away from her, her comments? It was real interesting as she was sort of talking about an update of all the lawsuits going on and that in one of the briefings on, the, on one of the lawsuits, it was disclosed that 340B ESP has built their software in what was described as an ability to detect patient eligibility. And she sort of paused and didn't really speculate much beyond that statement. But my mind went in a lot of different directions. Um, And it's always been top of mind as we talk to clients about 340 BSP and should you or should you not do it as an organization? And, you know, really what is 340 BSP going to do with your data and what what's the requirements going to be in six months compared to right now, right? Because you make your decision today based off of the the data required at the moment, but there's no guarantee that in six months when everybody signed up, that they're not going to ask you for more data. And so that's always worried lots of pharmacy leaders, including myself, um, as you sort of could think about all the different things that they could require you to submit. Um, and they sort of got you at that point, right? Because then they could just turn it off again if you don't comply. And so when 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 Maureen mentioned that, my mind really went down a dark hole, um, you know, because I could just I could just easily see where you know at some point in the future when they feel like a manufacturer feels like they got the majority back on the ESP platform is when they ask for more data. And if they really want patient eligibility, they need some patient level information around encounters and um, eligibility files. And I could see them easily going to covered entities and saying, Hey, you know, that patient encounter file you already send to TPAs across the country. Yeah. We would like that too. It shouldn't be that big of a burden because you already send it. It's just uh, just directed over here to us. And we're going to use that for compliance and integrity in our program. Not that we'd we'd like that data, but we need that data. If you want to continue to access pricing, we're going to need you to send all of that additional data. I think that's that's the, the scary thought. Exactly. And so your mind just gets going in a lot of directions. Again, it's all speculative, but I know many folks out there 
are trying to predict what will they require in the future yeah. and how burdensome is that going to be and how could that hurt you in the, in the long run? So I just thought that was a, a really interesting lay um, when you think about what they could do. I don't know, Rob, you were there, like where your mind went as you and I have talked about this offline. You know, it's, yeah, definitely a concern and you're right. And just to, just to remind everybody, we don't know for sure what's going to happen, but what we do know today is that, that, you know, they're not opposed to just changing things on the fly, right? I think there was a little bit, in my opinion, a, a bait and switch with, hey, send the data. And then once, once we had quite a few covered entities sending data across the country, then we started seeing these 45-day purchasing windows, right? Okay, great. You sent the data, but now you only have 45 days to purchase since sending data. One manufacturer has 45 days from the day you filled it. These weren't things that were in place when it first started, when ESPs first started asking people to send data. It feels like they just wanted people to send, then they layered on some restrictions. So, Jake, what you're talking about, I think, is in line with what we've seen already, right? If we, if we look at their, the, what they've done in the past, which is the recent uh, past, I, I can fully see what you're talking about, where they start asking for more pieces of data and, and trying to do some compliance things and denying 340B pricing in situations where the, they feel, right, where they're now making a decision, not HRSA, not the people who are actually um, the ones that are supposed to be enforcing program, but manufacturers trying to do their own enforcement. That's scary because then I think there's a little bit of a lack of control there. So I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, the the you know, early on when when you heard from 340B ESP or you read some of their communications, I mean, the stated intent early on was, well, we're trying to help prevent duplicate discounts and help prevent these stacked rebates. But now, you know, it looks like they've got the opportunity to also make eligibility determinations beyond just duplicate discount prevention and and possibly, you know, making decisions based on their interpretation of what a patient definition is, which is a really hot topic now, knowing that HRSA doesn't have the same enforcement capacity today that they did maybe back prior to 2019. And I think it's such an important topic because 34BSP is not going away anytime soon. And that was sort of like the, the next key I, I takeaway I had um, in, in, in the corporate breakfast, we, we were sort of talking about the journey to the Supreme Court with the Medicare cuts and how long that took. And then try to then think about the court rulings that are already in play and the motions that are already out there, you know, and what does that journey look like? And if you overlay those, you could see where, you know, 2023 might be the year of appeals and 2024 might be the year to go to the Supreme Court, right? So we're looking at this taking a few more years, most likely, um, based off what we've seen to date, there's not been an overwhelmingly lean in one direction or the other. Um, and so this sort of what will ESP look like and require us and how do we do it efficiently, I think is very timely because this the ROI on submitting the ESP has years uh, in he- ahead of it before um, there, there were really to figure out what's to stay forever. Um, you know, and Rob, I know you've got a pretty interesting take on what you think the Supreme Court may or may not do. So maybe you want to share that. Yeah, no, nah, yeah, I, I agree. I. I'm a little more pessimistic on on the courts than than some people. Um, some I, I can't tell where people are at on this one, but let, love to get your thoughts on this. But I, you know, as I looked at all the court rulings so far, they all seem to sort of be in the middle, and they lean in some cases towards manufacturers, or they lean in some cases towards um, HRSA. But at the end, it's almost most of the time they're saying 
they don't feel that the actual 340B statutes as they were written actually address contract pharmacy. So it's almost like they're punting it saying the statute's sort of silent, almost like what Pedley's been saying. And, and so I'm not sold that the Supreme Court even is going to be able to look at the 340B statutes as currently written and say, yeah, contract pharmacy should or should not be included. And, and so I personally think it's going to require Congress to go back and kind of like what happened with the Affordable Care Act, where additional hospitals were added and managed Medicaid was added to rebates on the Medicaid side. But I think we're gonna, someone's going to have to open, sort of open it up or at least add to the statute and say, yes, contract pharmacy is included in 340 program or not, I guess. Um, the other one, of course, which is, which is scary and, and it and sounds like, um, you know, Jake or Greg, you guys have thoughts on it or does Congress actually give HRSA rulemaking authority at some point, in which case they can then write rules specific to contract pharmacy and a variety of other things that would be a bit scary, right? There's going to be pros and cons to HRSA getting rulemaking authority. Um, you know, if we go back and think about what the omnibus guidance or the 340B mega guidance had in there, um, definitely some wins and losses for covered entities and manufacturers. But but I'll pause there to get your guys' thoughts on that. So if you think it's going to have to be legislation from Congress or if you think courts have a chance at um, coming up with a decision that, that's meaningful. And opening up the statute, um, Maureen said it. She said, listen, even the 340B champions on the Hill have said if the statute opens up, it's got to be compromise included in it. And uh, the lesson learned that, that she shared with us in that breakfast was that when Medicare had the, the cuts, and there was sort of this pathway back then that says, do we open up the statute to prevent this from happening? But the champions said the same thing back then. They said, listen, if you want to open the statute, we can do that. But it's we've got to put compromise into whatever changes we have. And so Marine's take at that moment is that when you reflect, it ultimately went to the Supreme Court and got ruled down, although we can't celebrate tremendously because it was more of a procedural issue than a theory it'll be interesting what Medicare does. And, you know, that's probably a different podcast in itself, what we think Medicare is going to do with 340B. Um, but in essence, we didn't open the statute back then and it kind of worked out. We'll see if we get paid in the, in, in the past future or the, the past um, four past um, cuts that were there. And, and, and if we get that money in the future here, but the point there is that the statute, if we do open it up to either solve the contract pharmacy issue or to give, HRSA rulemaking authority, which we'd have to do to be able to do either one, there'll be compromise. And do we really want to open the statute? And even if we do, is there a vehicle to do so, right? It's it, We're halfway through to the next presidential run. And so it's like, do you really, do we have a foresight to believe that even if the will is there, is there a way in the next two years? And it's really hard to see that, which is why yeah. this isn't going away. That It does not appear that Congress is going to be in the right frame of mind to be able to do anything prior to 2024. So Rob, I think you're right. Like the statute probably gets touched maybe in 2025. I mean, it's a long time from now. And, and that's when we're going to start seeing some of the impact of Medicare Part D pricing negotiation that, that's included in the, the recently passed um, Inflation Reduction Act. So there's this intersection that you can kind of forecast, you know, in, in two to three years where we might get some resolution. But I think you're right. We're not going to see any real change in in strategy, at least from pharmaceutical manufacturer side. So we're, we're kind of in a state where we have to live with 340B ESP and covered entities really need to be strategic in how they address um, what they do to mitigate the, uh, the loss of 340B savings from the contract pharmacy side. So Rob, you talked to covered entities all day, all week long. 
this comes up a lot. Like, what what advice are you giving to folks about ESP and how do you make an organizational decision that it's this big and maybe how that's even changed over the last couple months? Uh, yeah, and, and I'd like to get your uh, take on that too. You know, I think you and I kind of lead some of the discussions with a lot of uh, clients and current clients, potential clients on this. But, but you know, I, I do. I, I, I let a lot of our um, clients I work with know I don't see resolution for this coming, definitely not this year and likely not next year. Um, it, you know, I, I have this optimistic glass is half full that maybe we have a chance for 2024, but I think your comment, it might be 2025. 2024 is an, uh, an election year, right? 2023, if it doesn't happen, 24, everyone's getting reelected presidential. That's going to be a hot mess from a congressional standpoint. So I, I think it would likely be a 2025, and that's a long time. And right now we're seeing, I, I, I get the updates on, you know, news feeds all the time where we have our, our client health systems are running in the red. Our clients are telling us it's a bad financial time. And so, you know, covered entities need these savings. And since we can't get them back through the traditional means of just regular contract pharmacy, you know, we, although we as an organization remain neutral, right? We don't like to tell people you should or shouldn't send data to ESP. We support our covered entities in any way they want. And if sending data to the ESP program is critical for them to keep their doors open, then, then we'll support them in that. Um, but I do think there are other options that people can look at. So, so one is, you know, making sure that you've got an in-house retail pharmacy and that you're as, as still giving patient choice, but driving volume to your in-house retail pharmacies that aren't affected. Um, that's, I think that's, that's good for the organization overall. But also, are you looking at other things like referral capture? Um, we did a pod, our first podcast was on expansion of patient definition, right? If, if we're in this, this space, is there some opportunities there? So lots of things. Um, there's probably a few other things. Jake, Greg, what else would you throw in there? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely lots of opportunities around procurement and just improvements there and contracts that are outside the 340B program. You know, as 340B gets sort of maximized or um, you, you sort of evaluate all those options, you got to go elsewhere. And so the, the, the non-340B contracting that starts to become a focus for a large, large, lot of large health systems that we talk with. Um, I, I will add that, you know, Rob, you and I, we've met with some pretty large health systems six months ago, and they said, no way, no how are we ever doing it? And then you sort of get the whisper in the back of the ear says, hey, actually, we changed our mind. Um, we didn't have a choice, right? Because the money is so much and you're running the red. Yeah. And then, you know, it's like the saying, you never say never because you end up getting bit. And um, that's where it yeah. seems like the trend is, is that the, there's been many folks who said they're not going to do it and then they end up doing it. And that's what gets hard is, is that if you end up submitting the data, but it takes you a year to get there, you just lost a year savings, which can be millions of dollars for folks. And so um, it's, it's a difficult situation. Rob, you're right. You know, we don't tell or judge people which direction to go with 340 BSP because different organizations take data integrity and data sharing in different lights. Some are happy to sell that data already. And so it doesn't mean anything for them to submit it to get 340B pricing. Other really protect it. You know, some systems have been hacked. And so they're super sensitive to data sharing. And so they're going to be very conservative. Um, so we respect that. I think there's a no judgment on that. And um, it's just a really fascinating topic because the trend certainly appears to be more people are signing up now than ever. The people who are now sort of trying to submit data, it's a little bit harder because it seems there'd be a throughput issue at ESP versus folks who did it early on. It was happening a lot faster. So it's certainly not a, an easy way to get turned on and track, but the dollars are significant. And I think the key takeaway is, is from the coalition, 
this is not going away. You're looking at a two to three year horizon at best to give you clarity on what contract pharmacy looks like. So um, 340BSP has got to be a constant agenda item on your steering committee. It's got to be a constant update with your leadership team on what's the data requirement, what's the value if we do add or submit data in a different manner for different manufacturers. So that's sort of my key message takeaway from the conferences is this is going to be continued to be right center uh, on 340B oversight um, for every covered entity. And I, I know this isn't about sending data to ESP. We've done webinars and, and uh, other uh you know, newsletter topics and, and articles on this. But if you are going to send data, just a quick plug to our covered entities out there, make sure you resource that. I think people don't realize how much time and effort it takes to upload the data, just making sure you get the columns lined up within the platform, and then managing. This is the part that takes the longest, managing to make sure you get your pricing back. So you almost have to get a nice project management plan, spreadsheet, all these things. Again, if you're a current client, reach out to us. We've got some resources that um, uh, Riley from our optimization team is helping a lot of clients with, and we can share that resource or can have you talk to Riley about um, a service he's doing to track all that pricing for people. He's doing a really good job for some clients, helping them make sure they have their savings in place. But it's, it's a lot more work than we anticipated at the very beginning. We thought, yeah. send your data, you get pricing back, you're good. It is not that simple. A couple sessions at the conference also talked about that. Um, pretty key there. Hey, uh, good or bad time? Um, the other things that we've been talking to clients about, about savings, right? So some health systems talk to us all the time and say, hey, it, we're short X, X number of dollars, partly because of this contract pharmacy ESP thing and manufacturers, other just because it's just where the market is right now. Um, you know, we recently um, uh, uh, had the opportunity to merge or acquire um, Trula, uh, which is a great opportunity to, for savings on the hospital side. It doesn't do a lot on the contract pharmacy side, but from a hospital purchase purchasing perspective, I think it's another opportunity. I've been talking to kind of our health systems about, um, about you know, streamlining their purchasing process to maximize savings. Because if we can't get all the savings back on the contract pharmacy side, where can we? And I do think it's your in-house retail and your, and your administered drugs. So I just want to put that plug out there, just that you can focus on the other areas of your program to make sure you're not missing uh, um, any dollars there while you're trying to maximize your contract pharmacy side. Maybe last question, Greg, you know, you're out in the field all the time. This comes up. Any any lasting impressions you make on covered entities around contract pharmacy and ESP? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, I feel like we've got three different buckets of covered entities. You've got folks that have said, look, we're just not submitting data. We just we, legal doesn't like the terms of service. We're really concerned about data integrity. We're not sending it. Then you've got folks that said, look, we, we are sending data because if we don't get that savings back, we're going to have to shut doors. We're going to have to let people go. And then we've got these other people that are in the middle and they're like, look, we, we think we, we're, we're taking a big hit. We're really, you know, thinking hard about what our options are, but we're not completely comfortable sending data. What are the current HRSA audit standards that, you know, allow us to maybe be flexible in how we define certain elements of our program, what types of patients are eligible. So, you know, referral capture or continuum of care arguments to support 340B determined uh, determinations or line 190 clinic. So we've got a lot of covered entities that are, are really trying to make sense of what a more flexible uh, definition of, of eligibility means today as an alternative or a workaround to um, starting to upload data to 340B ESP. 
And I know we, we've spent a good bit of time talking about that in previous podcast episodes, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more in the future. But there are so, certainly some some different operational strategies out there outside of sending the data to 340B ESP that may require less in terms of um, human resources and may still get you some of that um, additional savings that you've been losing. All right. Any last well, thoughts, guys? Yeah, Jake. Well, again, you got to be paying attention to ESP. You got to be paying attention to what's the data being required. Who's the next manufacturer to hit? The ones that have already requiring it. What's the pulse? Is it is it getting easier for covered entities or harder? Um, the theme really is it's it's they're not easing the way. That's for sure. And it may be an ESP issue. It may be manufacturer policy issue. Time will tell on which one gets better um, and which one gets worse. Um, so reach out if we can be of any help. Hopefully this is just another insight spin on, on ESP and what they could do with your data. The, the key message is, is we can't hide from it. It's going to be around for the next two, three, four years. And so it's a critical part. It's going to be a constant conversation. Um, so we're happy to, to be here and uh, give our thoughts. Jake, we appreciate it. You know, our plan, uh, just so everyone knows, Jake's going to be a regular on our podcast. His insight and um, experience is, is critical for us. So appreciate you coming on. And it's always good hanging out with you, buddy. You as well. Appreciate it, hey. guys. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Rob. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, Greg. See ya. The 340B Unscripted Podcast is brought to you by SpendBend Pharmacy. Do you wish you had another 340B expert on your team to help you manage your 340B program? but there's no time or budget available to hire an FTE? The SpendBend Pharmacy 340B Staff Augmentation Solution provides you with an industry expert to help manage your 340B compliance tasks. Visit spendbend.com and follow the pharmacy links to learn how you can maximize your 340B efforts. Thanks for listening to 340B Unscripted. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.